the stranger is an essential part of God's calculus, throwing us off kilter so that the Holy Spirit can maneuver around our formidable defenses, that divisions can be healed, hope nourished, children lifted up. From Chicago, it's the Old St. Pat's Podcast Sunday Series, a show that highlights weekly reflections from Old St. Patrick's Church. Sometimes life throws us a curveball that takes us by surprise, and it disrupts our plans and upsets our rhythm. But what if these unexpected setbacks were not just inconveniences, but opportunities for profound learning and spiritual growth? Today, Father Foley explores how embracing life's disruptions can lead us to greater insights and a deeper connection with our life's purpose. According to people who research the topic, everybody is off their game from time to time, whether you're an athlete or an accountant, a teacher or a preacher. Symptoms of being off your game are pretty common. You zone out during meetings, you find yourself in a batting slump, you experience your job as boring, or you have your boss or coach keep pointing out fresh errors that you're making. This is such a common experience among folk in the U.S. that a recent survey indicated that the average U.S. worker indicated that they were off their games 60 days a year, which is about 25% of the work year. Who knows how often preachers are off their game. (laughs) (laughs) Symptoms of being off your game are boredom, uh, feeling overworked, feeling surrounded by negativity and personal issues like sleep deprivation. When you look at the Gospels, Jesus is virtually never portrayed as off his game. I mean, when he's confronted by Pharisees about matters of law, he flips a coin of Caesar in their face. When he goes to a reception and the young couple runs out of uh, the good stuff, he changes water into wine. Even in the face of civic and 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 religious authorities, when his own life is on the line, he doesn't lose his cool. He speaks truth to authority. He was always on his game, except when it comes to Canaanite women. (laughs) The symptoms of Jesus being off his game are not the same as the rest of us. Uh, He did not zone out during meetings with the apostles. He didn't seem to run into a parallel slump, a parable slump. He wasn't... um, bored when he was healing lepers. The primary symptom of Jesus being off his game, at least in this gospel, is that we see him short-tempered and even mean. It's not a side of the Jesus we usually see. Scholars have tried to clean this, this section up of the gospel, saying, well, what he was really doing is testing her faith, and when her faith was tested, he says, you know, good for you, the daughter is saved. But when you look at the text, she does call him Lord. She does call him the son of David. But there's no evidence that she ever made a profession of faith that he was the son of God. Other people try to clean it up by saying, well, really, the Greek, of course, when they start going that way, I I completely lose them. They're saying the Greek word used for dog here, canarios, really means puppies. So, and you're like saying, does that help? Uh, so why, why this side of Jesus? Why does he appear to be off his game today? Um, it is true that he was overworked. There is really obvious uh, evidence that he was surrounded by negativity, increased negativity as the Gospel of Matthew unfolds. 
He spent all those nights in prayer, so he certainly could have been sleep deprived. But the main reason it seems to be that he's off his game today is because he is geographically and culturally and personally out of his territory. That throwaway line that the gospel, at the beginning of the gospel, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, that's, it seems to be, one of the great keys. His home territory was Galilee. Now, it wasn't his birthplace, but he moved there with a family after the escape to Egypt. He spent virtually his whole life there until he was like 30, and even most of his ministry was done in Galilee. So it was his stomping grounds. It's sort of the closest thing there was to a Jesus hood but it became increasingly unwelcoming. If we look at the previous chapters in Matthew, we see that all of a sudden he's rejected in a way that he was never rejected before in the Gospel of Matthew in his hometown. That his Baptist cousin lost his head recently. And then the final straw might have been a couple of chapters back where the Pharisees were challenging him about whether or not he was keeping the law. So. His welcome was running thin, his security was threatened, and his fed-upness with religious leaders was at its capacity. So Jesus did what a lot of people do when they're exhausted. He took a road trip, whether into the familiar, uh, out to the unfamiliar, maybe with or without a passport across the border, he goes into Gentile land. We don't know how much he stood out there, this, this kid from Galilee, a rural kid from Galilee. You know, whether his wardrobe was out of fashion up there, whether the Galilean accent gave him away, or whether, whether it was simply he was unaccustomed to dealing with alpha Canaanite mothers who were hunting down healing for their daughter. Geographically and ministerially, Jesus was in new territory. Recently, I've been reading about a paradoxical design strategy called chaos engineering. My family comes to mind. <laughs> it's common news that, I mean, we hear this all the time, that some government agency got hacked or some website, you know, crashes. And these have enormous implications. Um, I don't know if you were online last November. I wasn't. Um, but when Taylor Swift's tickets went on for the first concert she'd done in five years, it was a disaster. Some people were online for eight hours trying to get the tickets. Uh, it was such a disaster that not only did they lose a lot of money, but Ticketmaster got investigated by the Department of Justice and Congress. Network failures are costly in lots of ways. Chaos engineering is a strategy to keep your network humming. The technique is a little bit like friendly fire. Instead of some intruder or bug from the outside messing up your system, you become your best enemy. You introduce, the hosts introduce errors into their own system, learning what destabilizes it so that it doesn't happen again. Some people refer to this as an anti-fragility technique to make the systems more robust and resilient. I was reading this at the same time I was reading the gospel, and it struck me that maybe strangers are part of God's chaos engineering, divine friendly fire, ways to test our fragility and throw us off our game. 
It certainly appears that with, with the human side of Jesus in today's gospel, unprepared for this maternal onslaught of a desperate Canaanite woman on a crusade for the health of her child, and probably may, maybe more than any text in the entire gospel, this close encounter of the unexpected kind between Jew and Gentile, Galilean and Canaanite, son of God and daughter of the earth, triggers a 180-degree turn in Jesus that happens in a gospel blink of the eye. And who benefits from this, this turnaround? Well, certainly the, the family of the Canaanite woman. The daughter's healed. But I like to think that Jesus also learned something. He was reminded about the importance of family, the need to be persistent in the face of sickness and marginalization. Maybe he learned something new about the power of hope. And there is some evidence of the gospel because right after this, we see a most compassionate Jesus healing all sorts of people, many of whom were probably Gentiles, and then he throws this outdoor uh, El Fresco picnic for 4,000, and those probably included many Gentiles. It's the enduring gift of the stranger. This one is for all of you math whizzes. From the world of the ancient comes the story of a wealthy man who had three children. His wealth was camels. He had 17. When the man dies, his best friend says that what his father wanted for his three sons is the oldest son would get a half, the second son would get a third, and the youngest son would get a ninth. But they couldn't figure out how to do that without chopping up the camels, which they didn't want to do, which would destroy the father's wealth. So as they're arguing over how to do this, a stranger comes along and says, well, What's the problem? They tell him that they've got a 17-camel dilemma. He says, I got a camel. Here's mine. Now they have 18. So the oldest son gets half of 18, which is 9. The middle son gets a third of 18, which is 6. The youngest son gets a ninth of the 18, which is 2. But 9 and 6 and 2 comes to 17. And they said, what do we do with the extra camel? And the stranger says, that's mine, thank you. <laughs> Our calculus is not God's calculus. Like Jesus himself on the road to Emmaus, or a Canaanite woman. The stranger is an essential part of God's calculus. Throwing us off kilter so that the Holy Spirit can maneuver around our formidable defenses, that divisions can be healed, hope nourished, children lifted up. And in the gospel reversal, the crumb becomes a banquet, the enemy a beloved, the woman a prophet, and the child a messiah. So in the spirit of the unflinching Christ, confronted by the impertinent stranger, with a poet we pray, attack. When the sun has turned the lake to flame and the waves are music on the beach, ambush me in the quiet beyond the words I have with this Canaanite mother. Spring at me from the running boy. Vanquish me in the courage of the weak. Take me by surprise in the wrinkled smile of the stranger with a floppy hat.
But be warned, I will be on my guard, welcoming defeat, as did your son in a distant land of hard-fought healing. Through Christ our Lord and the church says, Oh, 
Time now for announcements and events. Enjoy the last weeks of summer at Wrigley Field and come socialize with other young adults during the Cubs game on Thursday, September 7th. Tickets are only $30, but they're limited, so buy yours soon at oldstpats.org encounter. Save the date for an extraordinary evening of remembrance and unity. The Interfaith Family School proudly presents our 30th anniversary event on September 6th at 7.30 p.m. in the church. Let's honor history, celebrate unity, and embrace the power of music. Experience a moving performance on September 6th to celebrate our shared journey since 1993. Secure your $5 reservations at oldstpats.org starting August 21st. Join us for food, fun, and festivities in the courtyard after Mass on September 10th. Here we'll be hosting a member appreciation celebration with music, treats, crafts, and so much more. Be there after the 9, 11, or 5 p.m. service. No fees, no registration, just celebration. For all the details, visit oldstpats.org slash member appreciation. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The homily was originally given at the 9 a.m. Mass on Sunday, August 20th by Father Ed Foley. For more information about all resources available, visit our website at oldstpats.org. To stay up to date with new episodes, please follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the Old St. Pat's app. Find us on Twitter at Old St. Pat's and on Instagram at Old St. Pat's Chicago. You've been listening to the Old St. Pat's Podcast.